So as a UX writer, you have that immediate impact. So if you understand your customer problems really well, you can write that copy really well and see the fruits of your labor immediately. And I think that's a really cool experience. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello, everyone. Good to have you here. Welcome to another episode of Writers in Tech. My name is Yuval Keshtacheremna, and I'm the founder of the UX Writing Hub, which is the company that brought you Writers in Tech. And basically, we talk all about what is UX writing, how to get into the field, how to get better at it, uh, UX writing, UX content, product writing, content design. It doesn't matter how you decide to call it. We talk about communicating your product in the best possible way to your customers. And because of that, we have a very special guest today. His name is Ferdinand Gotzen. Ferdinand co-founded a company named Reveal that helped people to build products that your customers really need and help you to track a lot of the data and then to design based on that. And I'm very happy to have you today. Ferdinand, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So let's start from the beginning. I know that you have a lot of background in growth marketing. I know that you've been chief of growth in many different companies in the past. So how did your background and history led you to co-found a company like Reveal? I started my career in marketing, like kind of standard marketing agency work. And then when I moved to Amsterdam, I came kind of closer to the whole startup scene. And I started kind of living on that intersection of marketing and product, right? Uh, between the commercial and the product teams. I somehow very often ended up finding myself kind of responsible or driving initiatives for learning about your customers, segmentation, building your personas, understanding your jobs to be done, your user stories. It was something I was always quite passionate about, but I didn't always have the backing or the freedom or the support to really drive a, a truly customer-led way of working within organizations. So that's always different from company to company, the resources, the time, the priorities, the vision, all these things have to kind of align. And what I realized very quickly is if you as a company want to understand your customers and try to apply that customer understanding into what you do, into the decisions you make, that's not always very easy. There, there's a lot of tools, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of people involved. So from that frustration, I wanted to create something that solves that problem. And that's how I ended up founding Reveal. The biggest challenge today for many product people like designers and writers when using these type of tools that give me a lot of data is to have like actionable action items based on that data. So what tips do you have? Like, okay, so for example, I remember for a long time or many product people tell me today, hey, why don't you use Hotjar? And then you use Hotjar for example, to have like heat maps and stuff like that. But you have a lot of raw data that you don't know exactly what you can do with it. So what kind of tips do you have for productive people that want to learn from their users' data and what tools can they use? Yeah, I think the biggest tip I always give is to just get started with something. I think uh, the big problem is I always, when I talk to people who struggle with this kind of customer-centric, you know, how do I apply my customer data into the things I do? They come from one of two camps. They either come from the world of, we don't have any of this data. How can I get this data? Like we're not currently using data. How do we do this? And then they come from another camp or they come from this other camp, which is we have too much data and I don't know how to pour through this and I don't know how to manage this and it's too much information. And it's always easier to work back from an idea 
So if you say, from a writer's perspective, you have examples of copy you'd like to test, or you want to get validation on a certain feature name or a certain feature description, it's always easier to work back and get find the data because then you can really laser focus and say, here's an idea I have. I want to validate whether that idea makes sense or whether that idea is correct, whether that's an opportunity or a solution, whether you're trying to understand the customer problem or you're building a solution for them. It's easier to work back from that idea and get the data always. If you're sitting on a mountain of data, you will have a thousand different ideas that could come from it. So that depends a little bit on what is your role? What are your priorities? What kind of organization do you work for? If you are one of the few product people or writers in a small startup, you probably can't afford to swim in the data and look for those nuggets all the time. For that, I would just recommend once in a while, do a session with your colleagues, your product team, your CS team, sit down, pull through all of the data from the last quarter, and just you know try to see what you've learned from that last quarter. I think that's kind of the, that's kind of the best way to do that. If you're in a large organization, it can be more of a continuous thing. But I think the biggest problem we see is that companies either have no data or too much data. And as a result, they don't in any way leverage the power of that data and that feedback. And, I, and this maybe touches this, the other part of your question. They don't leverage that power in the decisions they make. So you end up with a lot of guesswork. You end up with a lot of bias. You know, like if I build something, I can always find three people who say they think it's great. Like it's so easy to do that really kind of basic validation. But how do you really validate something with information? And I think that also comes back to the type of data you use. You talked about Hotjar, for example. I think all kinds of data are important, but you need to treat them differently. You need to use them in different ways. So generally, your quantitative data, your analytics and such, they're basically going to be telling you what's going on. Are users clicking this button? Are users using this feature? What is happening on the higher level? But if you really want to understand how is it happening? Why is it happening? What are the dynamics? What is the context behind that? You really need soft data. You need qualitative data, customer feedback, interviews, this kind of stuff. And I think the key is don't try to start too big. Start small and start with a very clear idea of what you're trying to achieve. Start with your outcomes. What am I trying to achieve? Whether I'm a designer or a writer, what is the outcome I'm trying to drive that very much narrows the scope of what you need to collect in terms of information. And that makes it a manageable task. That's awesome. Um, can you give me an example of narrowed down task that a pro- one product person can do? Like what type of achievements are we talking about here? When we, specifically when we talk about like even UX writing. So what type of copy achievement can we have in a product? Yeah, so I think, for example, you take UX writing or any kind of product copy, product text, It is part of the product at the end of the day. So I think treating the writing, the naming conventions and the wordings in your product, they are a feature like everything else. And I think here the key is to start with, you know, what problem are you trying to solve? When you build a feature, and I guess we're talking about digital products as an example here, but when you build a feature, there's all kinds of different text that needs to go maybe in that feature. And that copy can be a big range of copyright. That can be the name of the feature. It can be the description in your tooltip. It can be the wordings you use within that feature all the way through to all the communications and product marketing stuff you do. Like all of that text, all of that copy needs to be well optimized. And I think the key, and this is something we always kind of push, push out there, is it's really important to understand what problem you're solving. So if you're writing copy for a certain feature or a certain product, what is the ultimate problem that that product or feature solves? 
and what is the desired outcome? What is the what, what do you hope the user will do with this feature and this product? Because I think that's a great starting point for trying to see, okay, do I really understand what the problem is? Do I really understand how this product solves that problem? And if the answer is no, there's an opportunity to talk to a few customers. And you can either try to tap into feedback you already have from surveys and feedback forms, this kind of stuff. This is why we advocate having a database or repository of some kind of all your customer feedback, because you can always tap into that. So to give you a really specific example, we're currently working on our brand messaging. And we wanted to create this kind of playbook that people from marketing, sales, CS, products, that everyone can kind of tap into to kind of hone the tone and the style and essentially the voice of the company. And one of the most important parts of this brand messaging playbook, which is essentially could also just be a UX writing playbook if you apply it in that context, was the voice of the customer matrix. So essentially what we would do is we'd make three columns. The first column would be, what is the problem we're solving? And then we describe, have a second column that describes the problem. And the third column would be the voice of the customer. How do they describe that problem? That's a really practical example. And of course, you know, when you talk to customers, they have different levels of the language you're speaking. They have different ways of communicating, different ways of wording. So you don't have to use exactly that user's words. But hearing how they describe a problem, just five to six users, to say to them, okay, cool, whatever your the solution is, whatever you're writing for, what is the problem we're solving? Have them communicate that to you because that, that just gives you this fundamental context and understanding that really helps you write better copy. It helps you write better text. And that's what we used in our brand messaging guidelines to basically say, here's the five problems we solve. This is how we describe it. This is how our users described it. And then how you do that in practice, that depends on what data you have available. Now, because we use Reveal Ourselves and we collect all of our customer feedback in one place, I just had to use our search bar and just said, cool, stakeholder management is one of the challenges our users have. So I just write stakeholder management and I got every piece of feedback or every comment any user has ever given us on stakeholder management. It took me two minutes to be able to match that, to match our description to the user's description. If you don't have that, it's super easy to just write a couple of users, send a survey, give them a call and just collect that uh, voice of the customer. I think that's a really valuable way to improve your copy. That sounds like a really cool solution right there because first of all, I really liked what you said about it's not about the problem, it's about also how your users describe the problem because then you could actually address it in the same words in the writing. And sometimes they use like a very specific terms that you wouldn't use either way if you wouldn't do those interviews. What I really liked about what you said about reviews that you can even like kind of search those terms and see like all of the different places where people actually use those terms. For example, you want to see every time that a user said feedback repository, so you can search it and then you'll see all of the feedback and see if they use this term or maybe you can use another term, which is not feedback depository, maybe a feedback database or maybe something a bit different. And you can do some adjustments to your copy based on the actual data from your users. I think it's a really cool solution. Yeah, 100%. I can give you another really specific example to us. So we have this feature called actions, right? Our goal is all about, you know, connect the feedback that's coming in to your prioritization, right? We always argue that usually the customer data lives in a different place where the prioritize than from where the prioritization happens. We try to bring that together. We have this feature called actions. And by talking to people, we realized that actions was just this broad term. And users didn't really know what to do with that because they were like, oh yeah, I, I know, take an action, but what is an action? Is it a feature? Is it a task? Is this something more? Is it an integration? 
exactly. And what we realized is, you know, we're a product discovery platform and we started talking to people who are familiar with product discovery and they all use solutions because they're building mm -hmm. solutions and they look at different, there's solutions and then there's problems and solutions. So that's the first change we're, we're contemplating. We're working on it now. Still actually actions in our platform, but maybe by the time people listen to this, it'll be opportunities <laughs> and solutions because we said actions are split into problems and solutions. But then we realized that people want to understand problems, but at the end of the day, from a company's perspective, a user problem is a problem for the user, but it's not a problem for the company. For a company, it's an opportunity, right? If you are my user and you have a problem, then that's an opportunity for me to create a great solution that solves your problem. And this came from, of course, understanding the field we're in, but really just talking to users. And suddenly we realized when we're talking about opportunities and solutions, they're like, oh, that makes total sense now. I totally get what I'm supposed to do with an opportunity. I totally get what I'm supposed to do with a solution. And I love that those two connect together. So that's now something we're building. This is where something where something as simple as a copy change can actually influence how you develop a feature. And I think that's something that's so easy to underestimate, that, that the power of the writing and the wording you use in your platform is just so important. And we tend to have this idea that you know, product copy needs to be dry and it needs to be to the point. And nine out of 10 times, you get the feeling that people who don't invest in it just copy the wordings of other competitor tools. But having that right wording is so important. And we ha we've had a lot of uh, interesting experiences with that in Reveal itself. So that's something that, uh, that is interesting, yeah. A very powerful tool, to be honest, for, for UX writers and designers, in my opinion. Because, you know, I do feel that 90, 95% of the actual work of the product writer is the research prior to the actual writing. To listen to your customers, to see that you tackle the right problem here. And, you know, as a newbie, you know, just starting out in UX, I was trying to come up with solutions before I even understood the problem. And then I had to, you know, draft a few ideas starting from the actual end and drawing like wireframes and stuff, most of them end up in the garbage can because I was doing guesswork. So using these type of tools for research, gathering feedback, going through this research, centralizing them, maybe with a tool like Reveal or other tool, might be a very good solution, very good idea. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I mean, of course, you know, we're always partial to what we're building, but any tool that will bring your information in one place is already going to get you so much further. I think that's the key. In my experience, really good UXers, whether they're doing UX writing, UX research, UX design, they spend 80% of their time trying to understand the problems they're solving. And when you look at it, when you, we speak to a lot of UXers and some of, the, some of them really nail this. You know, they spend really 80, 90% of their time understanding the problems. And then the rest of the time is dedicated to informing, inspiring, contextualizing, validating solutions. Whereas there's a culture in some UX teams where 90% of their efforts are spent writing reports. Like they spend 20% of their time researching and 80% of their time writing reports. And I think reporting is going towards a very slow death. I think reporting, writing UX research reports is something that UXs probably shouldn't do anymore. You should be spending all your time understanding the problem and then directly feeding into the solutions, whether that's copy, whether that's naming conventions, whether that's actual features or solution ideas. UXs have such a power because they sit on this goldmine of information. They need to be able to feed that through. And I think that's where a UX researcher, sorry, a UX writer is in a unique position because the input and the output is happening with one person, right? Very often a UX writer is expected to do the research and then create the copy. Whereas when it comes to design, very often the UX designer has that same experience when they're contributing to improving a feature. 
when it comes to designing a whole new feature, that's in the product design realm. And then suddenly you have that gap between the UX and the product team. So as a UX writer, you have that immediate impact. So if you understand your customer problems really well, you can write that copy really well and see the fruits of your labor immediately. And I think that's a really cool experience. So what do you think, like in a perfect world where we have the best tools out there, like, you know, Reveal is fully adopted and these type of tools, how do you think that the process should look like? You said that the UX report probably is going to be dead. So how does, in a perfect world, how do you think the process should be like for UX writer and UX people in general? Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, reports are sometimes necessary because you need to show other people, other teams what you're doing. Of course, there will always be some use case for them. But I think I just want to shift that focus away from, we talked about UX, you know, they do a 12-hour project and 10 hours are spent writing a report. And I'm like, nobody reads the report after two months. Like, why are you spending so much time on that? So for me, the ideal process is really you start with a desired outcome. And that is a desired outcome for your customer. Like, what do I want the customer's experience to be? That's a desired outcome for your product, which is how does that customer outcome translate into the usage of my product? And ultimately, you want to have your business outcome, right? If the customer's outcome is reached, that means that their use of the product, therefore the product outcome is reached, therefore some business outcome is reached, better retention, whatever, less churn, more expansions, more revenue, what have you. So if the first step is really understanding the outcome, I think the number one challenge for product teams is that when you go to most product teams and you ask every person, what is your biggest goal? What is the most desired outcome? What are the biggest problems you're solving? You risk getting a lot of different answers. If companies could get to a point where if you ask anyone in an organization, what is your main desired outcome? And what are the biggest problems related to that outcome that you need to solve? If everyone answered the same to that, I think almost every company would be successful. Any company that does that would be successful. So understand your desired outcome, understand which problems you need to solve to reach that outcome, and then build solutions aligned to those problems. Because then you have a very consistent chain. I'm trying to think of a really tangible example here, but it's really just, it's essentially, it's like a tree, right? Is I'm trying to, let's say we want to say not enough people who start using our product actually invite another user. Let's take that as an example, right? People come in, they start using a product, they don't invite other users. Luckily, not a problem we have, but it's a problem that a lot of companies might experience. That's a problem from a company's perspective. What is the problem from the user's perspective? Why aren't they inviting other users? Is it that the problem you solve as a product doesn't require collaboration, doesn't require other users? Or is it that there is something in the platform that is currently preventing that user from inviting other users to collaborate? So that's already two very different problems that you need to solve in two very different ways. Once you know that, you can then build solutions that address that problem. And that only matters if your biggest desired outcome is improving the number of users per account. Right. If you're and I think that we always say that you know, most products tend to fail. If you look at all the statistics out there, every team has had that experience of building something that doesn't get used. They don't fail because they're badly built. Companies are pretty good at designing and building good products these days. You know, they've got good designers. They use Figma. They use Jira. Like most companies are good at delivery. The part that companies struggle with is discovery. It's the deciding what to build. And very often the reason a product fails is not because it's, all, it's a bad solution. It's not because it's badly built. It's because it doesn't solve an important enough problem. So the key is to understand those core problems, align them to your company's goals, and then build solutions once you figure those two things out, which is a challenge. Sounds like a very like, great solutions, very great processes for anyone out there that is kind of struggling these days with identifying the actual problem. So you will have to 
ask another question. Do we want people to collaborate here? If so, how can we communicate it within the app? If not, maybe we shouldn't even consider inviting other people as like the first priority. If the goal is to create more collaboration, maybe you could actually create copy that says, hey, let's collaborate or like an onboarding that aggressively even funnel people towards that invitation flow. And there are like millions of different solutions. But once you know the problem really well, it's way easier to design the solution for it. People are really smart. Yeah, exactly. And it's also understandable, like it's in our nature to want to jump to solutions. Like that's in our nature, right? Because you want to do things fast. You want to fix things fast. I think the key here, and this is something that, you know, I'm a CEO, I'm not a product person. So as a founder, I also fall into that trap. Even as the founder of a company that preaches the opposite, I still have that that tendency where I'm like, oh, that feature could be a game changer or that thing. This, like you, we get attracted to ideas and, and solutions. And I think the key is you need great solutions and you need to focus on them and you need to have that visionary element that differentiates you. But it has to solve the main problems. You're, like that, that understanding of the problem is just so fundamental. And we always refer back to that Einstein quote, which is always a cliche thing to try and quote someone like Einstein. But it's like, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes trying to understand the problem and then five minutes to build the solution. And I think that's just indicative. It's just, if you focus on the problem, everything else becomes better and easier. Because at the end of the day, you know, copy is a bit different than product because copy can be quickly changed usually. So if you write copy, you can learn pretty fast if that copy works or not, and then you can iterate it. But when you're building software, it's a whole other thing because sometimes that's a six, nine, 12-week project. And if you're going 12 weeks in the wrong direction, that's really, really problematic. But I think this is something that applies to everything across an organization. If you understand the problem, your solutions are just going to benefit substantially. But Ferdinand, I would say that, do you know what I tend to have sometimes? Something that some people call, I think it's a paralysis analysis or analysis paralysis where you get paralyzed because of too much information. I will tell you also as a CEO of a company, you know, a lot of time you say, okay, now it's time to sit down and plan and sit down and do research and sit down and review. But then you look back and you say, hey, but like we also needed to take some actions right there and, and we didn't. So how can you make sure you'll avoid getting suffocated from too much information, basically? Yeah, again, I think that's starting with the outcomes. I think the goal here is to always be really clear on what you're trying to achieve because it just narrows that scope really substantially. I also have this sometimes where I'm like, look, by the time we finished analyzing and discussing this, we could have built something. (laughs) That's the feeling. That's the founder feeling. Most of the time, that's not true, though. I think that's the start of most (laughs) of the time. That's not true. And a lot of times where I have pushed my way, it hasn't necessarily resulted in a product idea that has been game-changingly, you know, different. You know, like sometimes you need to make bets. I think that's also okay. It's good to have space for that, you know. Sometimes you're building something that's been validated by the market, right? I don't know. Some other companies built something similar and it's worked really well for them. And for some reason that fits into your outcomes and your strategy. Sometimes, and you don't have to go through a tedious process every time you need to make a decision. I think that's the key. You don't need to have an overload of data. You don't need to paw through every single fact and figure before you make a decision. You need to be fast. You need to be lean. But I think the key is spend a little bit of time understanding what your key desired outcomes are. Like Once you understand that, it almost magically makes 80% of all the decisions and information just disappear. Because one of the problems we often are is we're so in the trenches 
that we're hit with all this different information. You know, this customer churns because of reason X and this deal gets lost because of another reason. And then you get a complaint on customer support from a really important customer and, and you're inundated with this. And it very quickly can create this inaccurate feeling where I talk to companies sometimes where they say, we got a request to build an intercom integration hundreds of times in one quarter. And then we did a full analysis on who are our best customers, as in who pays the most, who understands the, the product the best, who has referred the most customers, like who are our best customers? And it turns out none of them requested that integration. So would you would they have been right to build that integration? Probably not. So I think here the key is you need to have your outcomes, which align to your strategy. Like what am I trying to achieve? What is my goal, right? You know, am I trying to improve onboarding? Am I trying to improve conversion from trial to paid? Am I trying to improve average revenue per account or average checkout basket value size, whatever? Like what, is the num what are the numbers I'm trying to improve? What are the desired outcomes? And that already helps you narrow that scope. And then based on that, you just need to be smart with the data. And I think the key here is if you have a lot of information and you have a lot of resources, you can pour through a lot of data, but otherwise just be more targeted. Come up with, you know, Let's say onboarding is your biggest challenge. Why is onboarding your biggest challenge? That probably comes from your analytics. You're going to say, I don't know, 20% of companies you know, don't complete the onboarding process, whatever. Then ask yourself, well, what are the biggest problems the customer is facing? What, what are the biggest opportunities for improving that? You know, what, are my, what do I believe are the biggest opportunities for improving this onboarding? And you probably have an idea because you talk to customers, you're building this product, you know your industry. If you don't, go out and talk to five users. Talk to your five best customers and be like, hey, what made you complete this onboarding or what made you not complete this onboarding? And then use that information. So it's really taking that targeted approach. If you're thinking about your outcomes and your goals and then aligning that to opportunities, it narrows your scope a lot. It stops you from falling into this analysis paralysis where there's too much information happening. And I think that's really important. That That's where this alignment across the different levels from strategy to tactics to execution just needs to be really good. Sounds really good. It's funny because the first thing I thought about when checking Reveal is that I was thinking, what would be a good use case for us, for the UX Wedding Hub to use it? And I said, oh, so we need to connect it to Intercom and then that would be the best solution for us. Uh, it because could be. A, lot of, a lot of our customers' data is over there. Yeah, it could be. I think that's really from company to company to figure out. It depends how you work and how you operate. And again, I think most companies come, the, the biggest like, complaint or like struggle I hear is companies don't do anything in this direction. Like they say they're customer centric, but in reality, no one aligns on who the main best customers are and no one aligns on what the main customer problems are. And then their main excuse for not doing it is, well, I don't have time to go through everything. And that's like saying, you know, like that's like the doctor recommending you to go for 10 minute walks every day and be like, well, I can't run a marathon now. It's like, well, just start small, like start with if you have an idea rather than just thinking in terms of solution, think in terms of opportunity and then maybe talk to two customers. Send them a quick LinkedIn message. Give them a call. I don't know, whatever. Call a buddy who has a similar job description or job title to that and ask them, is this, an is this a problem that you faced before? And already that guides you more in a better direction. I think that that shift from output to outcome, from solution to opportunity, that's really like, that's that key mindset. And that's just a mindset shift. That's not extra work. That's not extra process. That's just about thinking, okay, I have an idea. What problem does that solve? Do we know that that problem exists? First of all, if there is one thing I will take from this call today is that I definitely need more to talk more to customers and make them describe their problems. So that's the thing I took from this call today, which leading me to the second last question for this interview, which would be, okay, so we have many 
introverts in our community, people that even I feel sometimes like, ah, I don't know, being shy all of a sudden, should I send a message on LinkedIn? Should I send an email? I know it's good for the company. And you said it, like it's a mindset shift, but how can we overcome this mind shift so we could actually do it? Yeah, so I think the introvert thing is always difficult because I'm quite extroverted and I understand that, you know, as an extrovert, I can't understand what the challenge is for an introvert. So I cannot give a specific recommendation there other than if you're comfortable, in your case, if you're comfortable enough to do a podcast interview, then you will muster, I believe you can muster the courage to talk to a customer. I think the key here is, of course, as a UX person, you need to talk to your customers. That's just fundamental to the job description. And whether that's pulling in another colleague who can back you up or help you out, whether that's asking your customer success team to make a connection, if that's like a more comfortable way, I think at the end of the day, you need to find your lines and figure out, you know, this is how I'd like to reach out. This is where I feel comfortable. I think at the end of the day, though, it's to understand that shift from solution to problem. That mindset shift, that's the most important. As long as you believe that understanding the problem is the most important thing, that's half the battle done. Then it's just a matter of finding how do I get this information? And then you need to see based on your situation, your product, your use case, your customer base, what is by your standards, the best way to reach out to them. It can be LinkedIn. It can be via customer support. It can be via the sales team. It can be a survey. It can be a feedback form that pops up on your website. You can figure out the best way to do that based on that. I think that's what I would recommend. I think there's a lot of ways to get customer information. And again, this is where it comes to is you don't have to go from zero to a hundred. If you feel like you could be talking to your customers more, just talk to them. And if you have other, if there are any kind of things that are blocking you from talking to them, work with others on the team who can help you do that. Find ways to reach out to them more indirectly. And most importantly, you're talking to them to make their lives better. And I think that's really important to remember And I think usually when you go to customers and you ask them about their problems, they're super keen to talk about it. It's very rare that, you know, it's a free for all to, you know, talk about the the, the stuff they're dealing with and what they're trying to achieve and talk about their goals and their desires and their needs. It's sometimes hard to get a response when someone's busy, of course, but once you're talking to them, it's actually quite easy just in the sense that, yeah. And like I said, feedback forms, surveys, and you gave a really good example you're already talking to customers, right? If you have sales and customer support and customer success or Intercom or HubSpot or whatever, there's already lots of valuable information pouring in. So when I did my brand messaging playbook example, 80% of the information I got came from this kind of inbound information and 20, 30% came from interviews we conducted. That's awesome. All right. So a lot of awesome takeaways from this discussion today. Talk more to your users, make them to define their own problems, start with small steps, if it looks like too much of a challenge at this point, start small. Great tips, Ferdinand. Thank you so much for being here today. I want to ask you the last question, which would be, okay, we ask it every guest. So basically we ask, what, how would you name this episode? So basically ask our guests to write the headline for us. So yeah, don't want to put you on the spot, obviously. But, and by the way, our editor actually end up picking the name. So it's just like a brainstorming discussion at this point. Oh, well, thank you very much, first of all. And uh, yeah, I would say something around from solutions to problems, from output to outcomes. I think Mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, that's always a good one. Or uh, yeah. 
applying like product it. discovery to UX writing. I love it. So maybe the word the process, like improving your process through maybe moving from solutions to problems mindset. Like, okay, it's too long. Our editor could take care of it for sure. I think the mindset change, I think it's really about like shifting your mindset from solutions to problems. I think that's, that's really fundamental and it makes such a big difference. That's awesome. Ferdinand, thank you so much for being here today. It was awesome. Thank you. In case people Appreciate would it. like to check your platform, so uh, the best way would be to go to reveal.co, correct? Yes, reveal with two L's, .co, and I can be easily found on LinkedIn if anybody ever has questions. Awesome. We'll add your LinkedIn to the show notes. And thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Writers in Tech. My name is Yuval Keshteher, the founder of the UX Writing Hub. By the way, check our website, uxwritinghub.com. We have free UX writing training over there. We have a lot of free content, basically, like this podcast, a weekly newsletter, a weekly blog post, and many, many, many more stuff. So check it out. Ferdinand, thank you so much. And bye.